Amen. It's good to be in his house today, isn't it? Good to gather. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. God is still doing what he's been doing all along, which is building his kingdom. Everybody say, God is building his kingdom. They asked Jesus, they said in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. They didn't know what happened, right? Even the disciples who Jesus instructed clearly, we have from the scriptures that Jesus said exactly what was going to happen, what he was going to do. The scriptures tell us exactly what was going to happen, that he told them, I'm going to be crucified and I'll rise again. But when it happened, they were confused. Everybody say they were confused. Because God's plan and God's ways are not our ways. And the way that God does things, even when he tells us what he's going to do, it's so hard for us to understand it and comprehend it, isn't it? So now he's resurrected. He's been with them a couple of times, and he's encouraged them. And, uh, and now they know, okay, Jesus is alive God has a plan. It's, uh, the, we saw the miracle of his resurrection. We're encouraged. All right, Lord, what do you have for us? What do you want us to do? And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now there had been many, many, many prophecies that finally a Savior would come and he would restore what they lost, which up until Jesus was a physical kingdom, everybody say a physical kingdom. Their hopes were to restore the actual physical land of Israel at that time and have Jesus as their physical king. And Jesus answers them uh, with, a, with an answer that is, it seems like maybe like the Bible does sometimes, is changing the subject, but he's not changing the subject. He's actually answering them like Jesus does and not like we do with the answer that they need to hear to the question they should have asked instead of answering them like humans do to the question that was asked. Now, this is not so odd if you actually look at some other scriptures, because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, 
like a thief in the night. And when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, talking to us as the church, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. So one part of the gospel is that there is a mystery, there is the unknown, and even Jesus' return will be a surprise, but to his people who are looking, even the word says, even we will be surprised at the day and the hour, but we will be waiting and expecting so it won't be a surprise that we don't understand. Does that make sense? But even in his return, there is a mystery and a lack of understanding until suddenly we will understand and it won't be the, an ultimate surprise like it will be to the world to be too late. And then we have also that Jesus says, Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, they ask him, one day the Pharisees, verse 20, Luke 17, verse 20, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. So here's what the disciples were asking. The disciples were asking, Lord, is it time for you to restore the kingdom? Now there's two parts. Number one is that what Jesus said before they answered, asked the question, which is why I believe Jesus said what he said about the Holy Spirit, because he said the kingdom is already among you. And the gospel really and what Jesus really did, besides saving us, but the, the inspiration into the disciples was that I want you to continue what I did on the earth. You can't save people by your blood, but what you can do is tell them about that blood and tell them about me and spread the gospel as we, as we say, right? And the Bible says that that already is the kingdom. So when they said, is it time to restore the kingdom? What Jesus was saying is, you will have the Holy Spirit to help you to live the kingdom right now. And then there's another facet of it that he says, you don't know. Only the Father knows. I'm not going to tell. We're not going to worry about the day and the hour. Your life is not just about sitting and waiting and looking for his return. It's about spreading the gospel, but you're not surprised by his return. You're constantly ready and guarded. Does that make sense? And so what I want to say today, just starting this sermon right off, is that we are of the kingdom of God. And there are two amazing facets of that, which is that because God is outside of time, is that his kingdom 
is already. Everybody say God's kingdom is already. Now you can't see it, you can't feel it, and you are instructed by the Holy Spirit moment by moment, day by day, on how to operate in this kingdom, which is not for your own gain, although there's many blessings, and some people have twisted it and think that the kingdom of God is how God's going to bless them and how the Holy Spirit's going to lead them into financial decisions. God just blesses his people because he loves his people, and sometimes his blessing is not even things or money, right? Who knows the greatest blessing is when God has comforted your heart at a time of weakness. That's way greater blessing than human blessings. But the Holy Spirit was put inside you, and the kingdom of God is about joining heaven. We're just not there physically yet, but that is our destination, and that is where your spirit is, even though your body is not today. And I know that your mind just starts spinning like, that doesn't make sense. How can I be in heaven, but I know I'm on the earth? But Jesus says the kingdom is already, you can't even, you're going to try to figure it out and point it and say, I don't understand. And then there's this other amazing facet of it, which he promises us there in Thessalonians, that there is a physical returning, there is a physical restoration. Revelation talks about it. Daniel talks about it. Many of the, the apostles point to it. There will be a physical restoration, a kingdom where he rules forever and ever and ever physically. It'll be spiritual, but it'll also be your physical understanding. I know that our mind's like, what? But that is coming, and we have that to look forward to. But I want you to know this today. I want you to be a Christian that is looking heaven-bound, but, but not that we're so heaven-bound that we don't care about the earth, and we can't be so focused on this earth that we forget, oh, yeah, it's a heaven-bound kingdom. Does that make sense? Maybe not. And God today... If that is the case, then how or what does that mean? How do we function? What does that mean for us day to day? How can we be in this world and not of it? How can we be kingdom people? How can we be looking for his coming, not focused on ourselves, focused on his plans and on his purposes, and still live in a nation and have... Uh, things going on around you, things are changing, things in the nations. What does that mean moment by moment? It's easy to say, and then tomorrow you wake up, and you're like, okay, that's great, preacher, but I still have to go to work, and I've got this issue going on with this person, and I still got to pay this bill, and you know the stuff going on in the nation. What does all that mean? And I know I'm a broken record, but really... What it means is that we must be not season to season, not Sunday to Sunday, but moment by moment led by the Spirit of the Lord. There is a leading that the apostles had. There was a leading that Paul had, and we must be led by him. We must. That's why Jesus said to him, Jesus said to them, listen, instead of focusing on the kingdom, Instead of focusing on it like, you know, how you're going to look in it, 
and your position? Because those are some of the questions they asked him. You know, they asked him that question, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Instead of focusing on, like, what it looks like, and you can talk about those things, I want you to focus on what the Holy Spirit tells you to focus on. He answers the question saying, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, that's the focus. You are kingdom. You are kingdom people. I want you to be clear-headed. I want you to be aware. I want you to, to, be, to not let it catch you off guard. I also want you to know that it's already beginning, but, I, but your daily, everyday focus is that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to your heart through, through my word, and he's going to instruct you on what and how to live each day, every day. Does that make sense? Who read through the book of Daniel or has been still reading through it? We still have a little bit left. Um, our chapter left, I think. Um, who's been reading it with us as a church? I love Daniel. Daniel is an interesting uh, uh, book because it's so supernatural. And, uh, and it's also thousands of years old. And it applies so relevant to today. And that God, I've been speaking this year, is just as supernatural today as he was in the book of Daniel. Amen. God is just as supernatural today as he was in the book of Daniel. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, it was not just a little unction. It was not just goosebumps during a worship service. But that Daniel, previous to the disciples, why Jesus said, you need the Holy Spirit, Daniel, Old Testament, uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the way, as well, they had the Spirit of the Lord, Old Testament, so did David, so did Joshua, so did Moses, Old Testament characters uh, were, were so in line with God that they actually let the Holy Spirit work. Old Testament, he couldn't come inside them, but even the disciples with Jesus, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is with you, and soon he will be in you. We have a greater, you know, even, was it Moses or Abraham? I think it was Moses who said that, uh, he, they, that everybody looked forward. They're in the Old Testament. All these things are happening. Miracle, miracles are happening. Amazing things are happening in the Old Testament, but they're looking forward, actually, to us, to the future, because Having the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ, the relationship intimately with Jesus, us and him, him and us, and the Holy Spirit uh, literally inside of us is a greater place than even these guys we read about in the Old Testament who are splitting the Red Sea and are going into lion's dens and into fires and not being touched. And the Holy Spirit is a greater miracle than those. That's what the Bible says. And that the Holy Spirit who is supernatural. I want you to say the Holy Spirit is supernatural. God wants to lead us, and he wants to lead us supernaturally. And God will just be about, his kingdom will, being, will be being built. That's hard to say. Will be being built. Simultaneously, he's establishing his kingdom. For instance, this is my cousin, Rick. You, most of you know him. Everyone knows him, I think, in here. But, you know, there was a time he was kind of hanging like this on the fences. He knows. He's not afraid to say it. That's his testimony. And then the revelation came, I need him, and I need him bad. 
And that's it, fell madly in love with Jesus. And he is like, man, we're so inspired because he's just, he's in, man. The real deal. And that is the kingdom of God growing and being established. Now, if you ask the media, they could care less. They'll downplay it, even completely and totally make an SNL skit about it and make fun of it. And yet, that is the real, that's real right there. That's the kingdom. And it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was the words being spoken, it was the prayers being prayed, it was the influences, and, and little by little, there was a, you know, a knowing, and there was a chipping away, and then finally, the Holy Spirit said, enough is enough, are you going to follow me or not? And he made the commitment. And so, that's where... We need to have our focus. We need to focus on the kingdom of God. I want to inspire you today because we still live in this nation and we have every day, sometimes it's hard to differ. We, we read the Bible and we understand, yes, I'm going to heaven one day, and yet then you still have to wake up and live in this life. And then you're like, okay, I've got the revelation that I need to just, I need to live for God, not just that I'm going to heaven. So you're like another level, right? Up. I'm not talking about a better Christian, but you have more revelation. Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. There's a kingdom of God, and I need to be about his business. But what does that mean every day? How, how can I function in that? And as I read through the book of Daniel, I was so inspired because these guys, Old Testament, really lived the kingdom of God, lived a Holy Spirit kingdom, living even thousands of years ago, and yet so, so relevant for this day. And the Bible says, firstly, I just want to say what these guys' name means, because I thought this was amazing. The book of Daniel, it focuses on, really, there's four heroes, and then there's all these other things going on. There's the kingdoms that they're living in, and, and the adversaries around them, and then finally, the book has some things about the future and some revelation. But the heroes are Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and you know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I thought this was amazing because their names mean God is my judge, God is gracious, uh, who is God, basically, or, you know, what is God? It's kind of hard because we're putting it into English from some sort of Hebrew, Aramaic, right? So, but basically, you know, on the understanding of God, and God helped, God's the judge, he's gracious, the understanding of God and God's help. And these guys, they lived in a, in a time where uh, you could not freely, um, how do I put this into words today and, and in our time, but you couldn't be, these guys were Jews, and you couldn't be a, a Jew freely, without paying a price. I don't have time because we're just not a Daniel Bible study, but I wanted to bring these guys into today's sermon, but I want to just touch on it, and I think I'll touch on it little by little. But So just a couple of quick things that have really touched me, and I think maybe it touched you Well, maybe you were reading the book of Daniel. And I really believe that this is uh, uh, timeless, it's so that just like Jesus answered, we can be about the Father's business, be building his kingdom, be looking heaven-bound, and yet 
operating without trying to decide and figure everything out. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and the astrologers in Daniel chapter 2 verse 10 because that's what they had, right? They had the astrologers and the, the magicians. This is not a Christian nation. It's not a Jewish nation. This is a foreign nation. This is Babylon. Uh, they say to him, No one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible, and no one except the gods can tell you your dream, because he asked them, I, he says, I don't just want an interpretation for my dream. You have to tell me my dream first and then interpret it for me. And they said it's impossible. So the Bible says this is where Daniel enters the story here as, the, as a hero. Chapter 1, we just have an intro, and it says that they're filled with wisdom, that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not like the rest of their nation, that they trusted God that they were uh, really ordered by him, even, even down to his diet was submitted to God. And it says here in chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar calls on him uh, because Daniel says, wait, before you kill everyone, before you kill all the magicians, uh, I'm going to seek the Lord. Verse 18, he urged and said, I asked the God of heaven to show mercy by telling us the secret. And so they went and they sought the Lord. And in verse 19, that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised the God of heaven. And he said, praise the name of God, verse 20, forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what's li what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the, kind, what the king demanded. Now, before I read verse 26, I want to just give you just very quickly uh, some backdrop here that this is about a guy who was taken against his will. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken against their will they had been stripped of their natural freedom. They had been stripped of their national heritage that they were born and raised with. All of that had been removed. And yet what they decided to cleave to was the Lord. Amen. They decided that even though we have lost everything in the natural, I am not going to lose my grip on God. And the only reason that the king was able to call upon them, even in a foreign land, even in a time where they had torn the temple down, they had burned the temple down. God had been erased in the natural from the earth, and yet there was a people who lived 
by the kingdom of God that was greater than the kingdom of Israel and greater than the kingdom of Babylon. And they served a king that was greater than the king that they called King Nebuchadnezzar. And so it says in verse 26 that the king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And I love his reply. Verse 27 says that Daniel replied, no. No, I can't. I can't. There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers, who can reveal the king's secrets. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven whom I serve. Come on, amen. There is a God in heaven. And you know what, Nebuchadnezzar? I could have been bitter. I could have uh, been uh, lost in the big mess of this nation. I could have been lost in the transfers of powers, but I decided to look to my God and to trust in him who is greater than natural kingdoms. And because of that, I still know him, even though no one in this nation seems to know him and no one can do this. But I know this God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. And he tells him the dream. He reveals the secrets and it says, verse 30, it's not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart, and I'm willing to be a voice to come and tell you that. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. What I want to begin to look at in this week and then to next week is that we must be kingdom people. It, we must stand. This is a time where we must stand. I still believe we need to stand for what's right in this nation. You must stand for what's right in this nation. In fact, I will stand for what's right in this nation even if it costs my blood. Let it be said. I'm going to stand for what's right in this nation, even if it costs my blood. But I need you to know something, and you must, and I believe you know it already, but I'm just encouraging you in what I believe you know, that even if in this natural kingdom, even in this nation, if they strip God from everything and no one knows him, I will continue to serve him, continue to look to him I will continue to stand for what's right until right is wrong and wrong is right, like the Bible says. But in that day, we're still going to be God's people and God's kingdom. God's kingdom was established immediately. When Jesus says the kingdom is already, the Bible says you can look at it into a, you can do an in-depth study. But when Jesus came into the earth, when the Holy Spirit came upon him and he began to preach the gospel, the kingdom, he said the kingdom is at hand in old text. That means the kingdom is here. The kingdom had come when Jesus came and we are a part of his kingdom. Now, many times in history, even Paul the apostle said, I appeal to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. There are times 
that you must stand for even in your nation. And he's like, no, you're not going to do to me what you want to do to me. And he doesn't even bring God up. And I serve God because he, he knew that in his heart. But we're going to talk about natural things first. Ultimately, who protects him? Come on, we know where his story goes. Rome wants nothing to do with him. They end up beheading him. That's history. But initially, you know, you try. You got to stand. I'm going to appeal to Rome. I'm appealing. I'm a Roman citizen. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm not just some weird Jew, because that's what they thought they were. I'm not calling them that, but that's what they thought they were, weird Jews, and you got weird beliefs, and we'll just kill you. We can just kill any of you anytime we want, because we're Romans, and you're Jews, and, and we're, we have captivity over you, but He's like, well, well, I'm a Roman citizen. So there is a time where he, even Paul used his heritage, his nationality. He stood on that. But ultimately, he stood on the cross of Christ and he served the kingdom of God. We must keep praying for this nation. In fact, I will bleed for this flag because I believe that's what God has called me to do. Maybe that's not everyone. But if I have to bleed for this nation, I will. I will. But ultimately, my blood is not just for a nation. I'm doing that because I'm instructed by the Holy Spirit. Come on, this is greater. My kingdom that I serve is greater than this natural kingdom. Jesus said, don't worry about the kingdoms of this earth and the establishing of the kingdom. Focus on me and the Holy Spirit will instruct you. And just as our forefathers were instructed to give us the freedoms we have today, imagine they didn't. Imagine they just said, oh, we're Christians and we don't get involved in politics. You would have been a communist nation a long, long, long time ago like much of the world, right? That's where it would go. We are the longest-lasting democracy in history because of God's grace and mercy. We are Americans, and I'm so proud to be one, and I'll die an American. I'll die for that flag, but I am serving a greater flag, the flag of Jesus Christ. We are serving the kingdom of God. And what I'm trying to say might sound like I'm saying a few things at once because what I'm trying to say is, that no matter how it shifts and changes, because we are Jesus followers, Holy Spirit filled people like the book of Daniel, their powers can shift and change. Not that that's what I want or that I will stand for or that I will agree with. But even if they do, the Spirit of God will still be in me. And we have the ability to stand before them and they cannot touch you. They do not have the resources and the information. They think they're so smart. They do not know what they're doing. And the believers in this nation who still serve the Lord will have a knowledge and understanding that is beyond and greater than this earth and even the kings of this earth. As kings rise and fall, our kingdom stays settled and founded on the rock. Amen. The Bible says, I'm going to get deeper into it, but I just want to mention for these next couple uh, weeks, I just want to mention it, that the Bible says in, that basically that we have in Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel chapter 5, we have this very similar story back to back, um, Daniel chapter 3 rather, and Daniel chapter Six, But we basically have Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. 
and this is what the Bible says. I love this because we could get deeper and deeper. There's just so much. We have Daniel deals with, with uh, the handwriting on the wall. And so just showing, just kind of building up to who these guys were. But the Bible says that uh, Nebuchadnezzar builds this gold statue, right? Chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set up on the plain of Dura, uh, plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He sets up this pillar. He sets up this statue. And, and you know, this is the symbolism that uh, basically... Uh, at this point, um, you will not serve your God. We are God. I'm God. Uh, just like even what communist nations eventually do, right? They put statues of themselves up. Eventually, all, look at all, every one of those nations, communists, the statue that goes up is the, is the leader, right? That becomes God. So the Bible says in verse 4, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, verse 5, I want you to bow to the ground, to the statue, and anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. And it says that as the music played, that everyone bowed except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar was irate, and he calls on them, and he says to them in verse 14, is it true? You won't bow before me, verse 15. When you hear it, I'll play the music again, and you'll bow. And what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And the Bible says in verse 16, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I wonder if they actually looked at him like a child when they said this. That's cute. That's cute, Nebuchadnezzar. That's cute. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. We don't need to, firstly, but, but I'm, we're going to just tell you some things. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, verse 17, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now, if we just ended it in verse 17, that sounds like incredible faith. We don't need to defend ourselves. God's going to rescue us. But verse 18, they give us the clause. Everybody say the clause. Nobody likes verse 18. Faith, uh, faith preachers have to kind of, you know, skip right. Well, we know where the story's going, but really 18 says the clause that we should all be aware of, which is this. And this is Jesus talking to the disciples and really just the whole picture coming together. Spirit-led people, people with wisdom, people with understanding, people who, uh, Daniel type of people, Holy Spirit type of people, that we live and operate under a different kingdom. But we need to understand something that even your human body, it says in verse 18, that if he doesn't, I can put in some words. I'm going to use a little license. Even if he doesn't, I just, you know, what you don't understand, Nebuchadnezzar, is you can't really kill us. You might kill the body, but we're going to be with God forever and ever. All you can do is kill the body. And we have a New Testament verse that says that, right? It says, do not fear those that can kill the body, but the one, right? Talking about God, depending on your translation, 
basically who can condemn your soul to hell. We're going to fear him. We look to him. We trust in him and not to those that can touch the body, says, but it says, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. We are living in this kingdom, but we are not of this kingdom. And if we can operate in this kingdom... Together, so be it. And if we can be wisdom, if we can help this nation excel as long as possible, even though you don't, you destroyed our temple, you destroyed everything, if we can be in this city and in this kingdom with you, and you will let us live here and call upon us when needed, calling upon Daniel, so be it. But at the time that you make us bow to your gods... I'm sorry, but at that point, you want to let us operate and be in here. We can be Christians, but, but we can't, you know, but we can't uh, have our temple, but we can be Christians. But at the point where you want us to bow to your God, I'm sorry. But at that point, I'm sorry. God's able to save us, but even if he doesn't, it says, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, we will never bow. And the Bible says, right, we know the story. The Bible says that he got so angry, he heated up the fire seven times. The fire was so hot that the servants that put them in there died. His servants died putting them into the fire. And the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar looked, I don't know how it, how it was positioned, but somehow he was able to watch what was happening, watch them burn. It's kind of sadistic but he was able to watch them in the fire. And the Bible says that when he looked in, he jumped up because he said, what's going on? And he saw a fourth man in the fire, that Jesus was in the fire with them. And I want to encourage you today that it's not the same thing with Daniel in the lion's den, just before I make my punchline point here. Same thing with the lion's den. They go, Daniel goes into the lion's den willingly, they say, we're going to entrap him. You know, uh, he's, he's working in this kingdom. It's, a, it's not a God kingdom. This is not God's kingdom, but he's been a good steward because he's a kingdom guy, kingdom of God guy, and not just a kingdom of Babylon guy. And, and, and what we'll do is we'll trick him and we'll twist him, right? We know the story. He gets thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible says that when they came, the king comes, he checks on him, and he says, was your God able to save you? And he says that God shut the mouth of the lions. And then the king throws in those that accused them into the, into the lion's den. I want you to know this today. We are kingdom people, and you need to know this. There may be a fire, and there may be a lion's den ahead. But they went in there not knowing that they'd be saved, but knowing that God was able. They knew that God was able, but they didn't know. They hoped, they prayed. God did save them, but really they had already died. They had already died the moment they said, this is where we won't bow. And where Daniel bows and prays as usual, so the Bible says he just went and prayed as usual. They said, you can't pray to anyone 
anyone but me right now for the next month. And Daniel just prays as usual, goes into the lion's den. We are in a time, and we will be progressing into more and more as we go into the future. The world is changing. It's not just this country, but the Western world is changing. And you can live and operate in this kingdom as long as possible, and God will bless you, and, and there is wisdom, and you have the Holy Spirit, and Paul operated in it, and the disciples operated in it, but at the point where this world demands that you worship them, at that point, we're parting ways. At that point, but listen, this is what I'm trying to get to. We must be at peace and operate in this kingdom, this lower kingdom, serving God's kingdom as long as possible. We don't start a war, we don't start a fight until they say you will bow to our gods. At that point, every single person in here not only has the right, that's your obligation to stand for the Lord. But these guys were able to operate even in a heathen, sadistic, evil kingdom, serving God's kingdom above it and knowing that. We can do the same thing right now. I'm praying that God does a miracle in this nation and that the nation is not evil, but even if it goes that direction, we are going to serve God's kingdom and we're going to operate inside like secret weapons, just like the book of Daniel, underneath the lower kingdom as long as possible until, like many nations, it happened all around the world, all throughout history, where they said, you're going to serve our God now and not your God any longer. And at that point, we cannot serve this lower kingdom any longer. Amen. Does that make sense? Is that encouraging anybody today? Maybe there's some things in there, deep things in there. I want you to say that. I want you to know that wasn't flippant. I really sought the Lord for this. I really did. I sought God for, I need a word. I need your heart for this coming season and this coming year and this coming time. And I really believe that that was from the Lord. We're going to serve God and God first. And I'm going to serve this nation as long as I possibly can and stand for it. Amen. Amen. We just thank you, God, for your word. I pray you seal it into our hearts. I pray you take the truth of your word and you just plant it down deep inside of us, God, and let it grow, Lord, as your word says, into a tree of life within us, Lord. And I pray in the name of Jesus once more for this beautiful nation. We thank you for her and we just pray for your blessing upon her. Lord God, we stand with you. And we stand, Lord God, as Americans, but as kingdom of God, Jesus Christ serving, Holy Spirit filled people first. Thank you, Lord God. And we just give you glory and honor and praise. Amen. Amen.